What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Knoll Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler, Tallahassee Democrat, here with Antoine Staley. And uh, we'll kind of jump right in. I guess a lot has changed in the last week of the uh, the Florida State basketball world. I mean, uh, a week ago, Florida State did not control its own destiny. And now, just because of the circumstances of FSU keeps winning, other teams very much do not. FSU doesn't just control its own destiny, but now kind of has a, a comfortable lead in, in, in pursuing its second straight uh, regular season championship. Pretty uh, crazy series of events. Yeah, I mean, Virginia, like they, at one time they were the team to beat in the ACC, and all of a sudden now they've lost uh, three straight games, starting with Florida State. And uh, you kind of joked about it that they uh, FSU broke Virginia, <laughs> and then they end up losing the game at Duke, and then they end up losing at home to NC State on Wednesday night. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's definitely a different perspective now, and you know FSU can kind of just you know be a little bit more relaxed. I think you kind of saw that in the Miami game uh, on Wednesday night, where you know wrestling the MJ Walker and you know, trying to get prepared for North Carolina, and then you got games at uh, against Boston College at home and again at Notre Dame to end the season. So yeah, everything's looking really good for FSU uh, as they trying to repeat as uh, ACC champions for the second straight year. Yeah, I mean the uh, the in state domination is is quite real for for fsu basketball obviously they s- finished the season sweep of miami last night i think they won them both by at least what 17 points and truthfully that was a game florida state coasted for most of the second half i mean if they'd probably kept the foot on the gas that probably could have been a lot uglier but they were very conservative with playing time and and things like that and just i mean it, it, the point had definitely been proven but it's i think seven straight against miami over the last what three and a half years Seven straight against Florida over the last seven years. I mean, that's a uh, we saw something like that, I guess, in the Jimbo Fisher era over on the football side. But we're seeing a really similar run in basketball of just, I mean, the the state really running through Florida State and kind of the uh, continued transformation to to a basketball school. Not to say that a football school Florida State can't become again, but it's a uh, it's been pretty remarkable to watch. And and I mean, I'm really uh, we can talk about. I mean. The, the rematch against uh, North Carolina coming up and, and how important that is. It's, I mean, it's not a must win in that, I mean, FSU has a two-game advantage in the loss column. FSU could lose that game and still win the ACC. But if FSU does go to Chapel Hill and win and, and complete a season sweep of UNC, which, to be fair, in the in the spirit of transparency, FSU has done FSU's won at UNC once since 2001 I think in the last 13 games there they've done it once not easy but if they were to pull that off and with with limited fans it would be easier this year um then I mean FSU would only have to win one of its last two games to clinch they could clinch in theory at home next week against Boston College which would be a pretty special moment I mean not just clinching but doing it before the end of the regular season before the last game yeah, and uh, the now we're doing transparency. North Carolina ended up losing a non-conference game. I know there's nothing in the ACC standards, but they end up losing to Marquette in a game they had recently scheduled on Wednesday night too. So yeah, I mean it's definitely um, they definitely have an opportunity to uh, win that game. This is definitely not uh, your father's North Carolina team, although uh, I think they're they're tournament bound unless something crazy were to happen. I think uh, the, the thing, this matchup is going gonna, gonna, gonna to be all about matchups, and I think we saw it the first time they played in uh, at, at, the, at FSU, actually. So uh, the Tar Heels are very long. They're a big, t- tall team, too, as well, like for the state. 
they're a really good rebounding team. And yeah, I definitely think it could be. I think you'll see a better, much better North Carolina team than what you did on Wednesday night against Marquette. And the um, minute that the game, did the opportunity that I was able to watch that game before the FSU Miami game, it just looked like um, it looked like they definitely scheduled that on the fly and uh, seemed like they didn't have the right energy there. But you know, as Leonard Hamilton has often said and recently said too, uh, that everybody's going to be up to um, get Florida State's best shot too at this point because they know that the top dog in the ACC they're number one and uh, people won't realize that and they want to try to knock them off and you know pull off the upset especially playing at home so I expect North Carolina to come in there on Saturday afternoon and have some energy and um, put up a much better effort than what they did against Marquette. Yeah I mean North Carolina's up until Wednesday was definitely trending in a, in a really good direction for not just making the NCAA tournament but comfortably so but that loss I mean Marquette is a name program but this year I mean is not good frankly at all I mean UNC was a pretty not a huge favorite but a notable favorite and lost in blowout fashion so I'm not sure that's the best thing for FSU where I mean it's not a must win for UNC either but that that's going to be a UNC team that's now I would say probably a lot more desperate than than it would have been had they taken care of business and won last night and so I wonder how that factors in I mean I feel like desperation is the kind of thing that can go either way where you could see a team rise to the occasion or you could see a team crumble under that it'll be interesting to see which way it goes I mean that's the thing with a North Carolina they've got real established bigs and, and veteran bigs but they're really reliant on young guards and I think that's why you're going to kind of see the the roller coaster somewhat I mean it, it it I feel like finding consistency is really tough for especially freshman guards kind of getting used to college basketball and they're somewhat adapted now but still probably not all the way there especially relative to for instance a lot of the guards Florida State's going to use and Anthony Polite hopefully at MJ Walker is back think guys like that so I I mean that could definitely go either way too there are a lot of uh a lot of variables to uh to say the least I know so Antoine you're probably I know it's you're a little more tapped in in the area than me I know North Carolina this week, uh, they haven't been allowing any fans. That changed, I think, earlier this week. Is that going into effect, like, immediately? Uh, it will in March. Oh, so th- there will still be no fans there this weekend? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, I don't think it'll be any fans this weekend. So, yeah, it'll, be, it'll go into effect at the beginning of March, So yeah. which is next week. So, yeah. Uh, Just so in time for the ACC tournament. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the main thing in Greensboro would it be an ACC tournament then that's when you'll see the change there where you'll see a little bit more fans there and uh, that certainly could make a difference especially in the area in Greensboro where it's going to be Pro Duke and North Carolina and I mean NC State depending on what they do as well so yeah I think that could be a factor in depending on the matchups there and how that goes down but yeah uh, it wouldn't affect this weekend but it would affect uh, the ACC tournament, and I think it probably will have some kind of influence there as well. Well, and all three of those teams are going to have plenty to play for. I mean, they're they're all at least somewhat on the bubble. I mean, it's weird to say this far into the season, but neither Duke nor, nor North Carolina is a lock for the tournament. North Carolina's in better shape and, and would need a decent amount to go wrong, but, I mean, the a loss to Florida State wouldn't help things. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. It's a scenario where, yeah, all three teams, North Carolina, NC State, and Duke, may not make the tournament. I think they will. I think Duke is trending in the right direction. I think North Carolina get in, but I think it is a scenario, which is weird to say, especially being from North Carolina, that those three teams would 
that it include Wake Forest may not make the tournament, and that's the Big Four. I mean, the you know Tobacco Road, and everybody talks about it, and they could it could be a way that they may not see, may not make the NCAA tournament. It's possible. I do think, like I say, I think with the way Duke is trending in North Carolina, they get in somehow, but they're going to be very, very high seeds, I believe, once the tournament gets started. But the the truth is, I mean, Florida State, I mean, well, a lot of those teams have had the roller coasters, the Dukes, the, the North Carolinas, really blue bloods across the country. Florida State, since its first COVID pause, has played at a remarkably consistent level. I mean, some losses are going to happen. The loss at Georgia Tech, where I, a, a number of circumstances went into it. Obviously, the close win over Wake was a, a bit out of character, but it was a game Florida State, against plenty of odds, managed to win, which is kind of the, the important variable versus a lot of these teams that haven't been able to pull out those games. So, I mean... Florida State has definitely proven again to be the conference's most consistent team and is in really strong position now to win a, a second straight ACC championship. There's a real path to that, even with a loss at North Carolina Saturday, if that were to happen, which I'll be interested to see what the line is in that game. Where, where would you come down on? I, we're not odds makers by any means. I, I, is that like a, well, I would say maybe Florida State minus one or two? Uh, I was going to say about Two or three, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think it's, yeah, Florida State, I think, will be a slight road favorite. I think, I mean, having been in the Dean Dome, I've never been in the Dean Dome for a game. I was there one one year for uh, March Madness, or not March Madness, Midnight Madness. The uh, Yeah. The It was the night before at Florida State, I think, played at NC State in football, and it just happened a timeout that we got in there. And, uh, I mean, it's a wild atmosphere. And so I, I definitely think they're missing that some of that this year and that, I mean, Florida State's still – it's not the same, but Florida State still gets something of a home court advantage, and North Carolina doesn't. They, they get to not travel, but they don't have any fan advantage because, I mean, no one's there. So That's a huge difference, especially playing in the Dean Dome. It's 20,000 people oh, uh, yeah. in there. So, yeah, it's a huge advantage when they can get fans in there. That's the kind of place where even watching a game on TV, you can see how much of an impact it makes. Yeah, it definitely is. So, yeah, I mean – you got teams like Duke and North Carolina, which they rely, especially Duke, actually, uh, they relies on their fans. And now you go from zero, I mean, you go from 60 to zero, essentially, now. And, yeah, it makes a big difference because those players really draw on that energy there. So, yeah, I, um, I like I said, I think it was tough for some of those teams, especially early on in the season. I think now they've kind of gotten accustomed to not having the fans and trying to uh, draw their own energy. But still, I mean, uh, just to play in front of an empty crowd or a very – few people there maybe from parents or whatever the case may be uh it's definitely it's definitely gonna be interesting it's definitely uh it's weird to me just not hearing any kind of noise um when i, when I watch the duke north carolina game because you're just so used to that and so used to the crowd making such a big impact is those two those are two of the toughest places on um, the to play in the country uh, yeah i mean see. media hasn't even been allowed at duke games i think media is allowed in person in north carolina games but yeah duke there is personnel like at, at Duke games this year, which I mean, that would be really unfortunate. I mean, from like a media standpoint, I would be a uh, building so small that yeah, get everybody in there. I mean, the, the state the, the arena is sixty five thousand anyway, and then not to mention uh, you try to it's, it's you're already cramming people in there anyway, and there's no air conditioning or anything like that. So yeah, um, so I'm not surprised they don't have any uh, media in there just simply because it's so small. It's not it's not like your typical basketball arena like the Tucker Center or UNC or Wake Forest or where it's more spacious. It's so crammed in there that 
especially under COVID restrictions that, yeah, you can't have a lot of people in there, more or less media even. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess, I mean, looking at the uh, the North Carolina matchup, I guess kind of steering back to uh, to that, I, I mean, what what do you look at as the, the matchup that's going to determine, I guess, the game? What do you what do you look at as the matchup or maybe I should say the couple matchups that, that are going to determine the outcome? Well, for me, I think it's trying to limit uh, Garrison Brooks there. Uh, definitely one of the top scorers in the ACC, really good rebounder there. Uh, so I would definitely look at him. Uh, Baycock is another player uh, for UNC. You definitely have to watch out for it. He's averaging nearly eight rebounds per game and uh, 12 points per game as well. So, yeah, I think those two just trying to limit them uh, on the glass and also uh, second-chance points there as well and offensive rebounds. I think that's the key for them because I know, like I say, Florida State's usually playing teams that – they're bigger than, in most cases, they are. But this is going to be a scenario where they're playing a team that's uh, if bigger, if not bigger. I mean, same size, if not bigger than them. And it could also crash the boards there, too, as well. And like I said, we saw it in January where that game really came down to the wire. And I, like I said, I really expect that to come to uh, fruition again um, on Saturday. But I definitely think it comes down to rebound and just limited their second chance points. And, it's, uh, and also points in the paint, too. And if they can limit North Carolina from getting easy uh, points in the paint, too, I think they'll have, they can have success and win this game. Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing, and it's not to say Florida State needs this to happen to win, but, I mean, Malik Osborne is, is definitely an interesting situation after last night with uh, rolling his ankle in that Miami game. It's not a severe injury by any means. It's not something that would keep him out long term. But it will be interesting to see on, what, only two days of rest. I mean, Thursday and Friday, and then they play again Saturday. What what kind of state he's in, because he's the type of player, he may not be, I mean, he, he's kind of a stretch four where he can sh- come out and shoot threes, but he's important inside, and he's he's a rebounder, a major rebounder for the team, and definitely the kind of player that, that would be important in keeping UNC off the offensive glass, which is how the Tar Heels win. I mean, that's the path to their win, and... For the most part, it's something FSU did decently well in the first game. But having to do that without Malik Osborne, it would not doom the Seminoles, but it would make things tougher. It would make Balsa staying out of foul trouble much more important. It would make Raekwon that much more important. Someone like a Tenor Ngam who didn't play last night would kind of held out with like a nagging injury type thing. He, has, he doesn't play a ton to begin with, and I, I imagine he might play even less in a game like this just because, I mean, bigs that can move so well and bigs that are a smaller and a little more athletic than him it's not a great matchup for someone like him so I'm not sure he would play a ton even if he's able to go but a Malik Osborne his status will definitely be something to watch over the next couple days and and see what Leonard Hamilton's willing to share ahead of Saturday's game about him yeah I think um, last night was just said we were like okay we're playing a Miami team that's really depleted and we should win this game no matter what so we're gonna we're going to, I think Osborne might have been able to come back in there, but, you know, they were having so much success against Miami anyway that you didn't need to necessarily push them, in there, push them back in there. I think same thing with MJ. I think MJ probably could have played, but at the same time, too, you're, you realize who you play. Miami only had six scholarship players. So outside, outside of Wong, I mean, they really had no threat there offensively or really defensively. So they, they would, I don't think they were necessarily worried about them as long as they take care, took care of the ball and didn't make any mental mistakes too. So I think everything that they did last night as far as resting players and 
uh, the minutes that they put their each players play was leading up to the North Carolina game, knowing that they know it's going to be a physical game. It's going to be definitely a game that you're on the road against a team that's very tough. They can obviously pull up the upset. So I think they definitely um, understood that, yeah, we're playing a Miami team that we should definitely uh, take care of business against. But So we're going to rest our players and just try to get ready and prepare for that. Yeah, no, I, that's not something I, obviously Leonard Hamilton would ever come out and say. But, I mean, MJ – played Saturday at Pitt where I'm sure they thought he was a little more important. And I guess it's possible that he he maybe got a little worse over the couple days after and that his status got a little worse and that he was less able to go against Miami than he was Pittsburgh. But no, yeah, I agree. To me, that reads, obviously, you're never going to come out and say it, but that reads, of I think we can sneak some rest. I don't think we'll need you. And I think you'll be better for Saturday if you don't have to play Wednesday. And obviously, I mean... Florida State's got enough depth at guard with a guy like Scotty Barnes, with a guy like Raekwon Evans, with a guy like Anthony Polite, with a guy like, I mean, Raekwon Gray handles the ball a lot, even as, as big as he is. Yeah, they, they I mean, you, there are things you miss about MJ, but even in the game against Pitt, it was clear MJ was not MJ. I mean, he didn't score. I don't think he shot a ball in the second half. So, uh, yeah, it, it, MJ's absence will definitely be something to keep an eye on as well. Because, yes, he makes more of a difference against North Carolina. I think I, I would have to look up I, what his stat line was in that first game. But, I mean, he's the type of player, he, a veteran defender, who could really have an impact against those young North Carolina guards. And definitely, I mean, he scored 21 points in that game. Yeah. So, yeah, that that is a, a matchup for him that is favorable. And if you get him anywhere close to 100% would be a, a major boost for FSU. Yeah, he had him. He was having a bit dame. I think uh, Gray ended up having 19 points in that game too, as well. So yeah, I think that's where it's what it's going to come down to as well. Uh, I think the those two are definitely going to have to have another big magical game to end up, especially playing on the road against a team that's so big and large as North Carolina. So yeah, I think uh, I think like I say, Leonard talked about after the game that. Yeah, anytime we can get a player rest, we're going to take advantage of that. So I think that was really his nice way of saying it. Yeah, we felt like he, we, we can take take advantage of this uh, MJ resting. And uh, I think it's definitely going to pay off and try to get him as close to 100% as possible for not only just the North Carolina game, but you kind of also see the end of the road there with the regular season and uh, also going into the ACC tournament too as well. You try to try to get your players as much rest as possible to try to get ready for the stretch run of the season and who knows where this team can go. But, yeah, I definitely think you definitely need um, a guy like AMJ Walker too as well who's been mostly consistent all year. I uh, know you're going to get the points from him. Uh, typically, your leading scorer, and you also have a guy like uh, Raekwon Gray who's hitting on odd strides last night who re- really didn't need to uh, score a whole lot because I think the bench really handled a lot of the, uh, the heavy load, especially Sadar Calhoun, who I feel like has um, played a big role recently in the way he's played. But, yeah, you're definitely going to need those guys to contribute big against the UNC. Yeah, Sadar's not – I mean – he, he, he's not a guy who's going to have those nights every night for a variety of reasons. I mean, the thing about Florida State, it stays true, even though they lost. I mean, I, I feel like I just, like, I'm repeating so many things, but they remain true. Even though they lost, what, two lotto picks and the winningest player in program history, they just have that depth where they can just, they, anybody can do it any given night. So Dar's had a couple of those games this year, and it really flashes. I mean, I think he's a guy who has... NBA potential, but isn't there yet and would definitely need to come back for at least one more year. I will be interested to see what next year is for him when I assume he'll be 
maybe not a starter, but in a larger role because you've definitely seen in flashes. I mean, the freak athleticism, the the shooting, just he does a lot of things well. You see a lot of why Leonard Hamilton and his staff were uh, so high on him. You touched on uh, Raekwon Gray. I mean, he didn't have, I guess, a huge scoring impact last night, as you said, but he's just he just keeps doing it. I mean, he's, I think, nine straight games now. He scored in in double figures. He had his third career double-double and third double-double of the season last night. He had two against Miami, which makes sense as limited as Miami is in terms of bigs, that he's going to be a guy who can live on the glass somewhat and, and do a lot in that regard. But, I mean, he just he just keeps doing it, and that's the type of player. I mean, when you have a guy like that and the strides he's made and just the, the, the ridiculously high consistent night in and night out level where you're just expecting him – to put up at least, what, 13 points and 8 rebounds right now? You almost expect that going into the game. And when you surround all the other guys you have around him, I mean, it's just, it, I cannot imagine anyone wants to play this Florida State team right now. No, because they're, they're so deep. They have so many ways to beat you. That's the main thing. Is You know, you run into a lot of teams in college, and, you know, you have that one superstar player that, you know, you know you have to slow down or a couple of players. But Florida State is... Like, okay, you know, MJ Walker, your lead scorer, he has a off game. Okay, you have a Raekwon Gray who can step up. Okay, let's say both of those guys have, you know, okay games, but then you have a bench, you have Scotty Barnes who's going to be a lottery pick uh, for all accounts too. He can step up. You have a uh, Bosa Coparisa who could also, you know, do some things too as well, lead the team in scoring. And last night came off the bench too as well. So, and then they, you also have a guy like a Raekwon Evans or Sadal Calhoun too as well. And uh, you talk about Malik Osborne. They, they have so many different ways to beat you. And it's, it's more or less, they're built like an NBA team. You can tell Leonard Hamilton spent some time in the NBA because that's how he has his team. It's not necessarily, yeah, you may have a superstar player in the NBA, but you also need to have bench depth too, especially in those times where either your player is hurt or gets in foul trouble or just having an off night. And that's really, you know, how he builds his basketball team. And you can just show it. You can just see it. And I think that's been that's been a big difference with FSU um, in the last few years, really. Uh, we, you can go date back the years with that, uh, just the way um, they've had people that can come off the bench and um, be major contributors there, too, as well. I'll be interested to see uh, at the end of the season as far as ACC voting. And somebody asked that last night, um, Hamilton, that what do he think some of these players are going to finish? And he kind of mentioned that, you know, you got a lot of um, old school writers that, you know, traditionally in Marcus where the group was, where UNC and Duke are, they may not necessarily vote for some players for FSU, but uh, you got to you gotta give it up to MJ Walk and also Raekwon Gray for the things that they've done this year. And they definitely have to be on, on the top of, you know, some ACC, uh, all ACC lists at the end of the season. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see where Scotty Barnes falls on that as well he's definitely a guy who could get some consideration on the freshman team potentially but I would say also one of potentially one of the 15 guys on the all ACC team I mean the longer this this run that Florida State's on I mean I think in their last 48 ACC games they're 40 and 8 the the longer this goes on the more that notoriety continues to grow and that reputation continues to grow I mean I think you I, I saw someone I, – I, I contributed last week for The Athletic that, where one of their writers asked someone from every market to kind of vote for their top three contenders right now for ACC Player of the Year. And that's a, an award that some people are of the opinion it should be kind of the best player on the number one team. I don't subscribe to that. Like I didn't because 
uh, no FSU player, I mean, has the stats, which I think some of it comes down to just because of the nature of how many players FSU plays and how they try not to play people for 37, 38 minutes a game. I didn't have a Florida State player on my top three, but I know at least I think one other person had MJ Walker as his number one. And some people subscribe to that theory. I don't think MJ Walker is going to win ACC Player of the Year, but I think even anyone voting for him in that in that area speaks to I mean the growing of that reputation. And last year I, I would have to pull it up, but Florida State, I mean, they had more All ACC representation than they'd had I think in a number of years combined. I think they had three guys, and so I w- I would be interested to see how many they get this year. I think it could easily be. Three up between the top the three teams. I think it could be three again. I'll be interested to see if that's the case. I mean, it's a yeah. yeah I was just gonna say yeah, I agree with you. I think that's typically what people try to draw um, upon when the team is winning, and yeah, they kind of vote for the guys that are there, right, right or wrong. I think that's kind of the narratives I think people describe to. Like I look, I, I admire what Isaiah Wong from Miami is doing, even though I know they're losing and not playing really well because he's. He's the guy. Like he he knows that everybody's coming for him, and Miami is so shorthanded right now. But yet he's able still to find ways to score uh, for the most part every single night. He had so an insane I, I, game last night. That's what I'm saying. Like for me, like he not only is he on the first team, I think he should get some kind of consideration for ACC Player of the Year. I'm not saying he should win it, but I definitely think just considering Miami's been snake bitten with injuries and. I mean, they got four players out for the season right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, and then you got another couple of players that are out, you know, right now dealing with injuries. So, I mean, he's, like, he's dealing with, he's playing with a lot of guys that shouldn't even be playing. And yet he's still finding ways to score each night and putting out a good effort. So, yeah, I, I, I like I said, I give it up to him because he, even last night against Florida State, and I mean, he nearly scored 30 points. And I know, like I say, Florida State kind of took their foot off the pedal, but, I mean, he still has to go out there and prove it and play and throughout these games despite um, the limited roster, and he's definitely having a big performance too as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, credit to him because that's got to be a situation where, I mean, obviously a player's never going to outwardly admit anything to the fact of we're outmatched, we don't think we can win this game, It's gonna we're long shots, anything like that, but it's got to be at least somewhat deep-seated in there of just knowing the odds that that team's going to be facing every night and how tough that could make things for him. So for him to be playing at the level he has night in and night out, no doubt. It's uh, impressive. I mean, we talked about the the bench impact. I mean, obviously, we've talked about Miami, how depleted they are. I think only had they only played seven guys last night, only six scholarship players. Yeah. But the bench points ended up being fifty-seven to five. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was fifty nothing at one point. I mean, Miami didn't have any bench points until the closing minutes of the game. For a while, I weren't sure. I wasn't sure they were going to get any. And I mean, there was a while there where. Florida State had nearly as many bench points as Miami had total points. Yeah. So it's yeah. a, it, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we're talking all ACC. The end of the season is, I mean, two weeks from now, I think will be the, would be Florida State's first game of the ACC tournament, whoever they're playing. I mean, if they get the double bye, which I don't think they've locked in quite yet, but I mean, they're going to get a double bye. So I, yeah, I mean, the end of the season's here where, I mean, two weeks from now, would they'll be in Greensboro. The week after that, they'll be getting ready for a, for the NCAA tournament, and it's a, uh, the it's going to be a, a a wild ride, even more so than usual. It's weird, I guess. Do you think has this season been like longer than usual to you, or not? Because I mean, the the two two week COVID pauses have obviously like 
drag, but it kind of, in a way, also seems like the season's flown by. Yeah, I think it's kind of missed the both. I think once you have those COVID pauses, and I know for both of us at times, it seems like, okay, with the pauses, it's not a lot going on, so that can drag on for a few weeks. <laughs> so I think that was that was tough, uh, dealing with that on two separate occasions. But I think once the teams have gotten going and just kind of when they got started in really December, yeah, I think uh, it's kind of flown by, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year, kind of like what we are, and now, you know, here we are, and you got FSU in the midst of, you know, not only winning another ACC championship, but also, you know, potentially contending for a national championship too as well. So, yeah, I think it's been a mix for both for me, just kind of just depending on how things have been going throughout the course of the season. But, yeah, when long as they've been playing, then, yeah, everything just kind of seemed like it's just going by, like, like so quick too. Well, and part of that I think too is I mean they've only played 17 games and yet they've only have 3 left. They're only going to play hopefully if they play the remaining 3 20 regular season games. So, I mean, I think that's part of it too just in terms of yeah, that, that that's a good bit less than they would normally play in a in a regular season. And so, I think that's part of why I mean just the number of games they they played relative to what they normally do and yet here they are pretty close to uh the postseason. We'll uh, we'll touch on them plenty more. We'll definitely do something probably early next week, recapping how this uh, this weekend up in Chapel Hill goes. I mean, they could go a long way towards all but wrapping up the ACC if they were to take care of business up at North Carolina, which will be no easy task for sure. We could touch on some uh, the the FSU baseball team. The season's underway over there. They took a uh, two of three from North Florida. You were there for the opening game loss Saturday. I was there for the Sunday doubleheader. I guess, what was your immediate takeaway from just the weekend as a whole and, and what you thought going in versus how it played out? Well, I mean, start out slow. Uh, you could definitely tell uh, they had some things to work out, especially in the first game, the pitching. Pitching uh, was kind of a big difference there in game one, too, and uh, definitely the offense uh, kind of lagged a little bit. But uh, as you saw on Sunday, uh, especially in the first game, where I think they scored 14 runs. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it uh, definitely got going. And, I mean, I think they're going to be fine, too. There's definitely a talented group there as well. Uh, it's early on in the season. We've seen it with other teams there in baseball, too, as well. Uh, it's such a long season. that It's going to be ups and downs. And, uh, you know, you had the number one team, the Florida Gators, end up losing to Miami, who was also a really good team, too, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely um, a lot to work out, especially when you have teams that hadn't played in 10 or 11 months. So uh, it's their first action since then. So it's definitely um, tough on a lot of different players for a lot of variety of different reasons. And, you know, not the fact they're in, we're still in a pandemic and things are going to happen and um, all of that. So, yeah, I think it's a good start for them winning two out of three there Well, as well. They start out ACC play this upcoming weekend against Pitt. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they'll play there, play um, against uh, Pitt, too, at home. Uh, so and before they end up playing a, a midweek game against Mercer, and then they play a play Virginia the next weekend too as well. So it's definitely a big weekend for FSU and try to get some wins there before um, playing, getting deep into the ACC schedule. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I we're we're ta- we're set to talk to uh, Mike Martin Jr. and a few players later in the year, and I think a major storyline is how quickly they're getting thrown into uh, ACC. Obviously, I mean ACC play. I mean when you're playing normal in a normal season, you're playing what ten series is, and so you get thrown into it pretty quickly. But I mean. For, for reference, so this year, I mean, Florida State has played three games, and yet here they go starting ACC play this weekend uh, against Pitt, and obviously some uh, some local ties there with uh, 
Mike Bell, former FSU pitching coach, now the head coach at Pitt, coming back once again. I think he came back two years ago in Mike Martin uh, seniors last year. But, I mean, last year, for frame of reference, FSU played, let's count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 games before its first ACC game. Wow. This year they're playing just three, and that's the state of the year they're playing more ACC games this year and less overall games. So they're really getting uh, thrown thrown right into the fire, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. I mean, not to take away from Pitt, but it's not a bad place to start. I mean, starting against a a Louisville, a North Carolina, a Georgia Tech, a Miami yeah. would be an especially tough place to start. Pitt is definitely a nice way to ease it in a little more. I mean, it's, it's a, a place where, I mean, it, it can be – Tough to win, but that's not to say that Pitt couldn't come in here and win a series. They they did, I want to say, two years ago. In, in Mike Martin Sr.'s last year, they kind of got Florida State at a really bad time where little was going right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it will be a real test. Not to, I mean, North Florida is by no means a bad team. They're a very veteran-laden, especially a veteran-laden lineup. But it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm interested to see how Parker Messick, who the, the Friday starter who did not handle his, his first start of the year – especially well after he was looked really strong last year. How does he respond? How does Carson Montgomery kind of handle his first ACC start after he handled his debut, the standout true freshman pitcher? Especially, like, he handled last week pretty well, all things considered. How does he handle this week? And how does the lineup handle what may be a little bit tougher of a pitching staff? Yeah, and I think Messick, yeah, he started out really well on uh, opening day, too. It was the uh, first two innings, uh, then him. Didn't allow a run, and then that third inning, just everything just kind of came off the rails. And as North Florida was able just to bat around and get six runs uh, in that particular inning too, as well. And that that was the difference, really. I mean, I know FSU ended up scoring three runs in the bottom of the third too, as well. But it's hard to come back when you're you give up seven runs. <laughs> so I don't care who you're playing, whether it be North Florida or Pitt or Virginia or whoever. But yeah, I think it's um, definitely going to be interesting to see how he can bounce back and how that pitches down. Uh, too, uh, can you know continue to play well and see if they can uh, potentially end up getting a you know not only a series win but you know potentially uh, a sweep two as well. Uh, so well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they end up holding up against an early part of the ACC schedule uh, when you know you just played three games as you kind of alluded to there and really didn't have. I mean, North Florida, you had a good tune up in North Florida, but that's really been <laughs> the start of the year. Yeah, and then they get an early season spotlight this weekend, obviously. Uh, all of Florida State's home games, at the very least, I guess I don't know for sure about road, but every Florida State home game is going to be streamed in some capacity. Most of them, I would say, on ACC Network Extra, kind of through Watch ESPN. But they're on the actual network Saturday night. They got an 8 p.m., a primetime game, one of those pit games. Carson Montgomery will be on the mound, I assume. I, I, I don't haven't heard about a change in the rotation. I wouldn't expect it this quickly, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a 8 p.m. game on the actual ACC network against Pitt, so that'll be a, an interesting early season spotlight for this team. And uh, I, it's they're about to start the marathon because they're playing 36 ACC games. They're playing, what, I think 12 of the 13 or 14 other ACC teams. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a definite marathon they're about to uh, embark on, and so that'll be uh, – It'll be fascinating to to see the least and how they handle it. We'll definitely touch on them uh, some more as well once we have maybe a little more to go off of because you don't want to overreact too much to an opening weekend. Uh, it's a busy enough time in Florida State sports, obviously. Basketball 
really gearing up for the final stretch, baseball, softball, a lot of others just getting underway. And now we're about to add a football in the mix here in less than two weeks. Spring football, that is. But I think they're starting off March 9th. I think we're uh, set to talk to Mike Norvell and Strength and Conditioning Director Josh Storms here next week ahead of that. And we'll have plenty of uh, access, maybe not in access in terms of being able to watch practice, but we're going to have plenty of interview access so that will be great and will help us give plenty of content there so we'll we'll definitely have plenty to touch on there as uh as spring goes on but no i think we're uh i think we we've touched on it all pretty thoroughly anton we'll be back with y'all uh with y'all soon we uh please subscribe to the podcast on on whatever your uh your podcast provider is please all of our content we have plenty of great stuff on uh Tallahassee.com, Nolsports.com. Antoine, I really enjoyed your uh, story on the site now. Caught up with uh, DeAndre Francois, if you want to talk about that a little bit. And, and, and I mean, uh, a former Florida State quarterback kind of had a fall from grace and now kind of returning to finding a, trying to find his footing in pro football. Yeah, you were yeah you were here when he was uh, the quarterback, but you can touch on it a little bit too. But, yeah, just – from afar, it seems like uh, he has some maturity issues to kind of work out too as well, and obviously end up suffering that patella tendon injury, which really uh, kind of really, you know, like I say, FSU and or Francois really wasn't the same after that uh, too as well. FSU ended up starting out on the top five that year in 2017, and ended up going to a seven six finish, and you know, of course Francois came back in 18 and ended up getting kicked out, get end up getting kicked out of school for some things off the field too as well but yeah I think it was a really fascinating article he's very candid and honest about a lot of different things too as well you can definitely read that on the uh, Tallahassee Democrat website too as well uh I thought like I said I I didn't expect I went into thinking that you know I didn't think he was he was going to be as candid in what it was so uh, but so like he's definitely um like from what I could tell a little bit more mature and um, looking for another opportunity in the fan control football league and hopefully for him he says he's hoping to possibly get into the cfl and maybe one day the nfl too as well but he's trying to work his way back into good graces and trying to get some good film on him and uh hopefully scouts can see it and uh hopefully he can take the next step and uh, continue to climb that ladder but it's definitely a really fascinating article and uh definitely was fortunate to do it and uh, he was definitely um, somebody great to talk to, too, as well. So, yeah, I, got, I know you can touch on more what, when he was here and the type of person that he was when he was at FSU. Um, yeah, I and mean, it's uh, you you hit it pretty dead on. There were definitely some maturity issues. There was the off-field incident, and it was the uh, audio clip slash kind of video, but it wasn't really a video of anything that was of a prior incident from uh, from years before, obviously, that went down. I mean, he talked candidly about what went into his dismissal, kind of why he understood it had to happen. And, I mean, I thought it was also fascinating. I mean, he uh, he he says, I would say, what, what a lot of Florida State fans have said over the last couple of years of kind of, the program hasn't been the same since my injury, which I think is most people would agree with that assessment. Because, I mean, obviously the loss to Alabama was already locked in at that point, but you still felt somewhat good about the rest of that season with DeAndre Francois quarterback instead of one ended up being a, a true freshman James Blackman. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a fascinating. He had a lot talked about Norvell a little bit. I mean it seems like he still he doesn't seem like he's holding it personally against Florida State. It seems yeah. like he still wishes Florida State well, despite how things ended. He realized I think some of some of his 
role in that and the lessons he had to learn and did learn in his year at Hampton. So yeah, definitely that a story well worth reading. Plenty of other great stuff on the site as well that is is well worth your time. So please, yeah, Tallahassee.com, Nullsports.com. You can follow us. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Kurt M. Weiler. Antoine, you're at Antoine Staley. Yes, sir. A-N-T-W-A-N-S-T-A-L-E-Y at Twitter. We we appreciate that. A follow there. Any, any interaction there is great. We uh, appreciate you for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you next time.